to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. And that's something I struggle with daily is the guilt. Um, I have so much guilt that I did not see this coming, happening. Um, As I've later found out from my kids had to be interviewed that um, I was home when, when all this abuse was happening. Home. I was home. I was there. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Today we hear from Molly. It's an intense, heart-wrenching interview. Molly has two little girls to her ex-partner. Once they split, she met a new man, fell madly in love, and felt like her family was finally complete. Then one night, she was blindsided by the worst thing that could ever happen to your children. This is Molly's story. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Molly, this is potentially one of the hardest conversations I think I'm going to have to have on this podcast. So first of all, thank you for sharing. But uh, I mean, how do you feel today? Um, I feel good. I feel like um, I'll probably cry. But um, no, I feel good. I do. I feel it's important. You feel ready. I feel ready. Yes. Can you take me back to the end of 2019? Life for you was very joyful. Um, Can you take me back there and tell me how it was and then the turning point for you? Life was really good. Um, I was extremely happy and I was living right by the beach and I had the perfect little family. I have two daughters. I had a partner um, that I was planning to marry. And there was talk of um, possibly another baby. Um, and and we had a dog and a cat and it was perfect. And then in a split second, it all, all of that. All of that went away. What happened? Um, it was a Wednesday and we were meant to be going to a barbecue in a town close by and it was still a school night so at last minute I decided not to go. I was tired. I'd worked a big day 
the day before and I was doing work at home and I messaged my partner at the time and said that I think I will just have a quiet night at home with the girls since they have to go to school the next day. And so he went to the barbecue um, and I was just working at home quietly and it was kids had been bathed and fed and in pyjamas ready to go to bed. And I heard uh, some loud noises from my eldest daughter's bedroom. And I thought that was just a bit too noisy and too energetic for the time of night, getting ready for bed. We should be quieting down. And I yelled out to my children, you know, what are you doing? It's time to quieten down. And they said, nothing. We're just playing. We're just playing with the Barbies. And straight away that felt a little strange to me because my eldest does not play Barbies at all, has never picked up a Barbie, has never had an interest in a Barbie. Um, and then also Barbies isn't that loud. It sounded like they were jumping around or or something in the bedroom. So, and then I heard the door close and that's when I yelled out, please don't close bedroom doors. We don't close doors in this house. So they opened it but they continued doing what they were doing. So I snuck down to the bedroom quietly. And that's when I found, that's when I found my children playing inappropriately, I guess. And that's when my children had told me something that suggested that they had been sexually assaulted by my partner. What seemed inappropriate about the playing? My eldest had pulled down the pants of my youngest and um, I had stopped. By me walking into that room, I'd stopped whatever it was that they were about to do and um, they were both extremely frightened when I walked in and... I asked my eldest if she was touching the privates of my youngest and at the start she said no, but she was frightened. She was crying. Um, She was scared. And my youngest said the opposite and said that she was my oldest eventually said that she was trying to get my youngest back because the youngest had kicked the oldest in the privates in the lounge room earlier and it hurt. So she was trying to get her back. Um, and that's when I said, we don't touch privates. They're your privates. No one else's no one touches yours, do they? And that's when they both said at the exact same time, yes, but he does. He as in the name of my partner at the time. Let's call him um, Peter. Peter. They said, yes, Peter does that to us. Yeah, they said, yes, but Peter does. So 
we have to be really careful with this conversation to protect the identity of you and your family. Can you tell me your children, are they school age or preschool age, high school age? At the time of this, four was my youngest and six was my oldest. So quite young. Okay. Very young. Yeah. And when they said, yes, Peter does this, did they say that in unison or did one say it and then the other one agree? They both said it at exactly the same time. And in that moment, did you know? Um, it's, I think about that moment a lot and it's just amazing how much can go through your mind in a split second or the things that you think about and um it wasn't that I didn't believe him it was also I didn't believe that he could hurt us like that or my my children like that like my youngest called him dad um so in that split second of them saying that I was like oh god please tell me this isn't what I think it is please tell me that it was an accident you know um that it was I don't know some sort of misinterpretation of something that happened but um but I also knew in that second that everything had changed and nothing will ever be the same ever again. So your partner's out at the barbecue. Mm-hmm. You've been told this shocking, devastating, life-altering thing. Mm-hmm. What do you do next? My youngest then straight away wanted to play. Um, she didn't see what was so, like, why are we even worried about this? What, you know, let's play, be normal. Um, so I put her in, since it was bedtime, um, I'm pretty sure I put her in her room and gave her an iPad and then went to my eldest so I could have a moment because I could see that there was more. Um that my oldest wanted to talk about but she couldn't because the youngest wanted to play so um I went and sat with my eldest and said to her um you know could this you know what you said to me before um could it have been an accident when tickling maybe in a game and then she said to me oh no he knew where his hand was Um, and then I kissed her and I said, thank you for telling me. And I said, I love you. And then I paced the house for a little while because I didn't know what to do. I was, I kept thinking, what, what do you do? Do you call the police? I'm not sure what what the next step was, who, what the next point of contact is after, you know, a child says those things. Um, 
So I Googled and I saw something about, I think the first article came up saying something about talking to a GP. So I thought, right, I will do that. I will speak to my GP the next day. Um, and then my kids came out of the bedroom and that's when they told me more horrible stuff that he had done to them. My youngest told me that he put a finger inside of her and it hurt. And she's four. And then my eldest, she said she begged me to ask him to stop doing it because it hurts. She said, Mommy, can you promise to tell him to stop because it hurts? I mean, hearing those things is every parent's absolute worst nightmare. Um, And you are still in the place in which this is happening to these these little girls and he's still going to come home at some point i mean you're trying to sort out next steps but what what do you do do you flee do you leave yeah. a note what what do you do i flee i um rang my sister um and told her if she could ring my mum who lived not that far away um and explained to my mum what was happening. That way I didn't have to call my mum on the way so my children would hear. Um, that way she had the heads up and I could just literally dump my children to my mother because I was going to turn back and go and confront him. And that's what I did. And how did that play out? He was home by the time I got home and he was sitting on the couch and um, he asked where I was and where the kids were and I explained to him that I needed to speak to him and I removed the children from the house because I did not want them to hear what I had to say to him. Um I had prepared myself for him to fly off the handle because I thought that would be a normal reaction to being accused of such horrific things. Um, But instead it was the complete opposite. I, I was totally shocked by his reaction. He, I told him everything that the kids had said and he said nothing. He didn't fly off the handle. He didn't get upset. He didn't get angry. He said to me four times in a row, okay. And then he got up off the couch and said you, something along the lines of, you know, I would never do anything like that. And then he walked to the bathroom and proceeded to have a shower. And then I was sitting there. I just remember feeling 
Like that's, I don't feel like that's a normal reaction. He gave me nothing. Um, and then I went to the bathroom and said, I'm, I'm going now. And he said, why are you leaving? Why aren't you staying? Just because you, you know, the kids are there doesn't mean you have to go. I was like, I, that was just the weirdest. I, I was totally caught off guard by it because I was expecting anger and to be wrongfully accused of something. Um, but there was none. And I left that night and um, the kids and I have never been back. I've only been back once to get my stuff. Are you feeling rage? Are you feeling like you need him to admit it before you can rage? Are you feeling like this guy is a sociopath I need to get out because I don't know what else he's capable of? Like what is it? How do you deal with his kind of, I don't know, nondescript attitude? Um, Looking back at that now, I think in the moment, and being right in the middle of it, it's a different feeling. I was, this is someone that I've known for over 15 years and I just couldn't turn that love off in a second, as horrible as that sounds. No, I get that. This is also the love of your life. This is the man that you are going to marry and have a child with and you, I'm sure there's a part of you that wants this so badly not to be true and that he is the person you think he is. Yes, that's completely. And I was terrified of dragging. These are serious accusations and they can ruin someone's life. And I was petrified of ruining his life when I didn't know. All I knew is what the children had told me and, um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I was hoping some way that none of it was true. I, I wished none of it was true. I didn't want a thing to change. I wanted our life to be exactly the same, but at the same time, I couldn't brush it under the rug. So I felt like, yes, I thought his reaction was completely weird, but at the same time, I was scared to, to walk out. And, and leave because I know it's done. I know that there was no coming back from that. Because that's a lot. Like I think this is really important for people to understand because people are coming here listening today with so, and I, judgments, you know, yeah. and we'll go into that in a minute. But I think it's really important to honour your part in this just for a moment of a woman raising children who aren't his, correct? (laughs) Yes. And having a second chance at love and having all of these dreams and having the perfect life, as you said, you know, I think we really need to just for a minute give you the space to feel whatever it is you felt apart from being a mother, because of course you feel all of those things of 
complete protection and savage love for your baby cubs, right? We know that. But I think if we separate that and just ask you, you now have to make a choice of what you're going to believe. And that choice is going to destroy the life that you love. Mm -hmm. What was going on for you? Um, there, There was, to me, I felt that it was not salvageable. To me, it was, regardless whether it was true or not true, there was no choice but to flee and end everything um, because the risks of, I just thought of if I didn't flee and kept my children in that circumstance, you know, could this could have been worse. This could be worse in, in years down the track. It could be a different story. And it wasn't worth, that's not worth staying my happiness with him. It's just not worth it for the safety of my children. That is so, I think, the most normal thing that every every parent yeah. listening to now is like, there's no fucking way my children safety doesn't come first but i need to say that there are many women many because i've spoken to victims whose mothers or fathers turn a blind eye to the abuse just to have what they want to have as as a, a perfect family or whatever that means for them. And I think it's really interesting to break it down because for you it was just like, I've got to get out of here, see you later, peace. I'm never never coming back. Mm-hmm. Where lots of people will try to make sense of it, forgive it, ignore it, deny it, to make it continue for selfish reasons. So I really wanted to understand if in that decision, if it was grey for you or just an easy one. It was an easy one when I look at it now. Yes, it was hard, extremely hard, but easy at the same time that like there was no other option. Yeah. I was always going to run and and that was that. But I do, seeing the aftermath of what had happened and everything that we've been through now, we're still, that decision to leave is still, like our life is still really hard after that and we're still missing a lot. What does that mean? Like, we left everything. Um, I think we were given, we were given six hours, we were granted six hours to clean up, clean out as much as we could of my kids' stuff, my stuff in that house. So my kids, they went from, you know, their space of their bedrooms surrounded by their things, all the things that they made at school, you know, or their, the way that they decorated their bedrooms and then put in pyjamas and fled and they never saw that space ever again. And we have been, we've been living out of suitcases 
ever since my kids share a bed. They don't have their own space. We have a roof over our head. It's not ours, but they're safe. But I see why people don't run, because you have to give up everything. Which also seems maddening to me because why is it that the perpetrator is allowed to stay comfortable, you know, and stay safe? And I understand that there is um, a legal system in place that has to make these calls, but for for the children and the trauma at play here, the stability and, you, you know, what they deem normal needs to be in place so they can recover. Yeah. And that's not true for you. You don't have any, I guess you don't have your normalcy. No, I don't. We don't have, when I say we have a home, but it's not, when I say home, I don't mean a house. I mean a space that's ours um, where the kids are not reminded of what had happened, you know, um, they look, they look around and everything they have are in, is in boxes or in a, in storage in a shed. And it's a reminder, you know, I don't get all that stuff is there because we had to run. Because that thing happened. Because of what happened. Yeah. Can we talk about if in retrospect you can see any type of grooming upon yourself or the girls? I don't. I didn't. And that's something I struggle with daily is the guilt. Um, I have so much guilt that I did not see this coming, happening. Um, As I've later found out from my kids had to be interviewed that um, I was home when, when all this abuse was happening. Home. It was home. I was there. How does that happen? Um, I think I, I I was at dinner. I was making dinner or I was in another room or something. I don't know much. That sounds weird, but um, I'm classified as a witness. So I am always, it feels like I am the last to know anything. So um, in the system, they need to have you kind of blind to details so you can give a statement that isn't in court, yeah. conflicting or... Yeah, the less I know, the better. Okay. Yeah. Can we just then talk about that element of you go to the GP... Mm-hmm. I'm assuming docs or some special forces come in to talk to the the girls. These girls are so little. Yeah. How, as a mum, I mean, you just never want to leave their side again after something like that. What is the process now? Do they take the children separately and talk to them or are they together? Are you allowed in the room? What happens? Um, So the the next day I sent my children to school um, so I could go to the GP and he, I broke down in the GP 
office and um, he was amazing. Um, and he gave me the numbers and told me what the next step was, which was child protective services. I had to call and make a report. Um, and so that's what I did. I um, then rang child protective services and that was extremely scary. I didn't realize that the GP had told me to call them, but didn't say it was to make a report. I, um, I'd never called them before. I'd never had anything to do with them. So I was really unsure, but when I rang, it was really scary. The lady on the phone straight away said, you know, police are going to be involved. He's going to be arrested. This is going to happen. And I started panicking. I was like, I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but this was not what I thought was going to happen. And then a few days later, and there must be social workers from child protective services rang and organized the time to come interview me. And uh, the kids were at school and they came to my house and they brought um, the new house, my mum's house. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. We were staying there and they brought the police with them, like a detective, which I, no one had told me they were coming. So I started panicking this whole time. I thought they were coming to take my children away from me. I didn't, I had no idea. No one had told me what the process was or what was to happen. And then that was a couple of hours of interview. And then they set up an interview with my youngest because she was four. So I had to drive her the day before Christmas Eve to child protective services in town and she was interviewed for nearly three hours on her own i'm not allowed to be in there a four-year-old little girl is interviewed for three hours without her mother yeah she couldn't even um she wasn't even allowed to bring a teddy in with her and the that and the detective was behind the glass in the interview room listening um, and then I get called in to the room after and my child is taken out. And that's when I'm told that they want to arrest him because she has disclosed to the social worker and the police heard by supervising, you know, behind the glass. Um, I didn't get told what she w- said. And I believe that's videotaped as well. So, um, and then they said the next day, which was Christmas Eve, that they would like to speak to my eldest, which would be done at the police station because she's older. So um, I took her down to the police station Christmas Eve and for three hours she was interviewed by two detectives and videotaped and I was not allowed in that room either. So when you have gone in for your statement originally, you have told them what you've told us today. Mm-hmm. And under that, they weren't going to arrest him. But something that your children have said has taken it to another level where they have to make immediate action. Um, they don't do immediate action. It's really it's really strange. That's what I thought would be um, the case 
that they just come and arrest you, but they don't. Um, they, they, I think they did nearly six weeks of investigation before they arrested him. Yeah, that was, uh, I had to do an interview and yeah, my children like Christmas Eve, we were at the police station. Um, it was horrific. I still don't know what my children said to this day. And did you ask them? Um, they can't, they can't tell me because all of that, those videos will be shown in court. I mean, they have told me some little things, obviously, because they've had to confirm things with me. So I've been left to piece things together, I guess. Is it more and worse than what they told you that night? Um, well, I had to put both kids into therapy after um, because of the traumatising effects once the children were in a safe place. Like the nightmare began with the trauma and so I had to put both kids into therapy um, with a child psychologist and stuff came out in in therapy um, and it was worse and it can't be used in court. So is that because you heard it? Yeah, because we were advised that, you know, putting the kids in therapy benefits them like um like him and his lawyers more than it like for us because they can use that against us but I mean they can't use anything that's used in court in sorry in the session cannot be used in court it's um but the fact that I'm in those therapy lessons because my children don't trust me anymore that's one of the things that have come from this especially my eldest had does not trust me anymore um i'm so sorry that is so heartbreaking for you and so unfair for her oh yeah I'm, the like it was never her choice he made that choice for my girls something that they will have to do with the rest of their life and it was never their choice. Do you know, did she say it was because you were there or did she believe that you knew or something? No, because I, it's my fault that the family isn't together anymore. I, her words were, and then mum, then mum destroyed my whole world because she sees that I put her in that car. I took her away from everything that she loved. Yes, he did those things to her, but they don't know it's bad until you tell them that's bad. And they're so young. So she did. I'm the one that ruined everything. Yeah. And she, that's what okay. she did. So it's the dismantling she is, is upset about. Yeah. I took her away from him and the happy family and and that that was my fault and that's what she the therapist said you know who are the five count on your finger you should have five people that you should be able to talk to and trust when you know things that who are the five people that you trust in and you know she said her teddies she said her teacher 
she said everyone but me she'd used her five and then the therapist said what about your mom is your mom someone that you can talk to and, and she said no I don't trust my mom she said she trusted her teddies more than she trusted me but I mean it hurt it really hurt but I, I could see why like mm. I could like it it's normal I feel like that's a normal reaction there's so much for them to work through while they develop into young women and women that this is going to be very strange to navigate for them. Oh yeah. They've, I worry about that. I, you know, they've still got to, unfortunately they have to, they have to go testify in court and be cross-examined by his lawyers. Um, And we've already spoken to you know the our solicitors and they've said you know they're going to make those children feel like liars they're going to convince the girls that they lied that they're making this up and you know that's another thing that we're going to have to deal with as well is picking them up after that that's going to be extremely traumatic as well so we've still got a long way to go is that terrifying for you thinking about court? I know how strong they are and how I think we've managed to get as far as we've got because of them. They're so well spoken. They're so matter of fact. They're so clear when they speak. They know what happened. Um, and it's a matter of fact. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, because I know how hard it is to get this far. Um, so I'm, I have all the confidence for that. I'm just, what scares me the most is that I don't even get to be in the room when my kids testify. Yes, they are testifying through like video link sort of thing. They don't get to physically see him in the room, but he gets to sit in there and watch my children and hear all of this stuff. But I don't because I'm a witness I don't get to hear any of that or see them. At least I can't be in the room. No one can be in the room with them when they're being, I believe there can be a social worker that they meet that day, gets to sit in there with them, but they're not allowed to speak to my children. So if my children are confused about a question the lawyer is saying to them and turn for comfort to the social worker to explain, they are not allowed to speak to my child. And I don't even get to sit there and watch that on the screen as a sort of a support to my children. Did you ever see any part of this man, like ever any, like tiny, tiny question marks, if nothing obvious, anything, even in retrospect? I try. I really try, but I don't, it didn't, like nothing ever made me feel like I shouldn't trust him. I'd known him since I was 13 and his family had been 
involved with my family for years. Like I, I did not, and I always thought I would know I was, I was, I will know when my children, if that ever happens to my children, and I'll make sure that never happens to my children. But I think I was so worried about it happening outside. Mm. I spent so much effort in keeping my eyes on everyone else that I, it was happening right under my nose and I didn't even know. And the guilt from that is debilitating. Can we talk about that for a bit? I know it's going to be really painful for you, but can we talk about the guilt? I think initially when people hear about children that are sexually abused, they go, like, where the fuck's the mother? Or where the fuck's the father? Or what, what's mm-hmm. going on? You know, like, what are they? Are they alcoholics or drug addicts or, you know, are they not present? There is this immediate blame towards the carer. Yeah. Have you experienced that? I think. I am that. I bash myself every day with that. I think that's, I am, I'm, I'm so, I feel so guilty. Like I should have known it was my fault. I let him into our lives. But then I know that if someone else came to me and told me that had happened to them, I would say, you know, you're, you're a good mum. You're not to know. How are you to know? But for some reason, I beat myself up daily about it. Um, no one directly has said to me anything, but I have lost so many friends. Really? There is only one couple that were mutual friends um, that I met through him that remain talking to me. You know, I've, I've gone up and said hi and I've been totally ignored. Um, I've been followed around at football by, by f- people um, and just stared at when I'm there with my children but no one has actually directly come up and said anything to me, but, you know, no one communicates with me. No one talks to me. I've tried to talk to some people in public, but they've just turned the other way. Wow. I'm really sorry. This is so painful. Yeah. Like it, it hurts. It stings. It does. But like going back to that bedroom when my children said those things and I said, it's fascinating how many things can go through your mind in a split second. That's one of those things is I'm going to lose, like, are people going to think I'm crazy uh, or a horrible person? Like I'm doing this to him. And I still chose to put my kids in the car and leave. So when I look at people deliberately not talking to me or siding with him, and losing friends, I'm like, at the end of the day, yeah, it hurts, but it's not about me. And I would lose everyone if it meant my kids are safe. We've talked a little bit about where your elder child is at with you yeah. at the moment. How's your little one? 
I think she, because she's a lot younger, she doesn't quite understand what had happened, what, that, that it was wrong. It took, like, we'd go to therapy and she was never emotional. She was very matter of fact, like, yeah, he did that, but can we give him a second chance? Because, you know, you always give people a second chance, you know, and it was always if mummy forgives him, can we get back together kind of thing. So, But she was never, there was never any tears. There was never any, she was always matter of fact. And I think it's because she doesn't understand everything tied to what he did, what it means and and all of that. Whereas my eldest, I think she has a little bit more understanding and it just, once I was, the therapist told me that, once they're in a safe space, which is away from the abuse and in a safe place, that's when they show all of their trauma. And it did. She she regressed to the point where she couldn't even read anymore. And she collapsed at school. I I went to go pick her up from school and she collapsed into my arms and we both just cried outside her classroom. Um, and she, it was nighttime. She would be losing, just throwing herself around the place from like some nights, 11 o'clock at night to four o'clock in the morning. And then she'd go back to sleep and then she'd start all over again to the point where, you know, she was ripping bed sheets off the, off the beds. She was throwing stuff whatever she could get her hands onto, she was throwing out walls, you know. We were having to hide scissors from her. She's come a long way, though. So unconsciously the trauma is mm. releasing itself. Yeah. She just had so much anger. And the little one, is the trauma showing itself? In, in a quieter way, like, whereas, you know, my eldest is very physical and loud, the screaming and the crying, but my youngest is, you know, are all the doors and windows locked, mum? Are you sure? Can you check? And, you know, it'd be still daylight, but she doesn't want to sit out in a room and eat her food at the table because she's by herself. She needs to come find someone and sit right next to you. Uh-huh. So she's not on her own, but, you know, can you please make sure everything's locked and she needs to be in bed with someone every night because she won't sleep on her own, you know, quieter ways. And how is your trauma playing out? Um, I have noticed that I have a lot of anger, a lot of anger. And I don't know where to put it sometimes. Um, I, yeah, it's the guilt and the anger I struggle with a lot and, and not being able to do anything about it at all. Like I still, I've seen him quite a few times since this has happened. I bumped into him or been at the same thing that he's at and I can't do anything about it. And it's so, it's the cruelest thing. Do you feel violent? 
yeah, some days I want to, I know where he is. Part of it, he's on bail. I've got his, I know his address. I know where he is. Um, I know, and it, and I struggle because I feel like sometimes with the justice system, I'm treated like the perpetrator and I struggle with that. I feel like I've done the wrong because um, I feel like he, he gets all the rights and I don't. Yeah. He gets protected more than yeah. you feel you're protected. Yes. A lot more rights. Um, and I'm just, and I guess I never really knew all of that until I've been in this situation and, you know, now going through court and all the rights that he has and we don't. Um, it's the frustration and the anger and there's nothing I can do about it. Did he ever admit it to you other than that weird initial first few words he said? No. Um, no, he never admitted it. So his uh, standpoint is denying it's true? He's staying with not guilty that I know of, yeah. What is the worst case scenario for a adult that sexually assaults a child that's that's proven guilty? What's the worst sentence? Just doing my own sort of research, I think those charges are like the max for each charge is like seven to ten years. But um, look, I'd love he'd go to prison. He would go to prison and he would be a sex offender and his life would be, you know, after prison, he would be a registered sex offender and that's what I want. But the convictions are extremely low. Are they? Yeah, yeah. I think I read um, that if 100 children are sexually abused, only 10 are reported and only two ended up in conviction. We've been told from day one that, you know, even though he's arrested, it doesn't mean anything. Like it can be thrown out of court at any time because the level of evidence is so high because it is. It's a circumstantial case, really. It's his word against my kids because it happened in in secrecy, there's no fingerprints, there's no breaking and entering into a foreign house to do it. So there's no, do you know what I mean? Like it's. Did the girls though get examined? Um, no, they oh. didn't. And um, they said the youngest may have to be, but they never ended up doing it. I don't know why I was never told, but yeah, we were always told every time we made it to court. Um, I think like four or five court dates we've had and or more and each time you know it may they may just throw it out and they never did and I remember we had our last court date and two charges were dropped and I wasn't even told (laughs) so your lawyers don't say that I don't even know my lawyer's name (laughs) I don't because it's just the my children are under a certain age, so it's that you know the state is what deals with all of this. So we're given 
lawyer. I was given a lawyer and I met her and my children met her. And then, you know, last month I was wrong and told that she's quit and I now have a new lawyer, but I don't know who that is. And they dropped two charges and they didn't tell me why. I still don't know why. I've tried to ask why, but I've been told um, I have to wait to my next time that I meet with my solicitors, which I don't even know when that is. And that's what upsets me because he can pick up the phone to his solicitor or barrister any time of the day or night because he's paying them, um, but I can't. I don't have that. And I'm a witness as well, so they're not going to tell me much anyway. But Is there any way you can take it into your own hands or is it this far gone that it's now in the control of the state? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the state, because the children are under a certain age, they take control of it anyway. I'm really sorry. This sounds so frustrating and unfair. I just, I see why there are not very many convictions and I see why people choose not to go through this process because it's horrible and super scary because if he gets away with this, if they, it doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It's just that there are so many other factors at the end of the day when it comes to court. It's not about whether, it's not about truth anymore. And he gets so many more rights than us. I have to be cross-examined. My children have to be cross-examined and brutally put through that process, but he's allowed to exercise his right not to speak he doesn't even get questioned about this at all in court. I don't understand that. It's part of his rights. He has the right not to speak. He also has the right to choose whether we have a judge or a jury. I don't understand. Just like you don't understand. Yeah. they it's the way that it is. Yeah. It's hard. And that's why I want to, you know, talk about what we have gone through and because before this I thought that if you go to court and are found not guilty it means you're not guilty it doesn't it just means like look how many things how many rights that he has before we even get to court I'm really really sorry I'm really sorry that you've all been put in a really unfair situation and you still have no control but are supposed to be there picking up the pieces of all of this damage it's it's just, it's an injustice you know yeah. that, and it feels heavy and it feels like this is your life forever now while you raise these girls mm-hmm. into women our final question is who are you when no one's watching? Um, I think I'm broken. Um, I think that's when I cry. Um, And, you know, I don't cry in front of my children. I haven't cried in front of my children about any of this. Um, 
And I think when I'm on my own, I do, I cry a lot. And it's when I'm on my own, I have that safe space to cry and feel okay. It's okay to feel angry and broken and guilty and all of those things. I think it gives me, being on my own gives me that space to do that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this part of your world with us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you'll hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.